Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. Excuse me. I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and a trainer at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Krista St. Germain. She's a master certified life coach, post-traumatic growth and grief expert, widow mom, and host of the Widowed Mom podcast. When her husband was killed by a drunk driver in 2016, Krista's life was completely and unexpectedly flipped upside down. After therapy helped her unfurl from the fetal position, Krista discovered life coaching, post-traumatic growth, and learned the tools she needed to move forward and create a future she could get excited about. And now she coaches and teaches other widows so that they can love life again, too. Welcome, Krista St. Germain. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. You know, that sounds like a really traumatic event. I mean, that's I mean, a little bit trite of me to say, but obviously life-altering, changing moment. Is that what got you into the coaching business, that, that thinking that you could help other people in the way that you were helped? Yeah. In fact, I, I never had any inclination to coach before the loss of my husband. I really didn't even know what coaching was. I just kind of found myself in a place after he died where my therapist was telling me how great I was doing. <laughs> And I kind of understand why she was saying that because I'm sure, you know, from the outside, I I was handling life. I did look like I was doing well. I was back to work and, you know, the kids were getting fed and and things were, you know, getting done on the to-do list, but I wasn't feeling good. I was fairly convinced that I probably was never going to be really happy again and that, you know, my best days were behind me and there wasn't going to be much I could do about it. I could get used to it. I could adjust, but I wouldn't really ever love it. And I just happened to discover a life coaching program at that time. And it was so powerful for me that when I got done with it, I decided, okay, you know, this, this is actually what I want to do. And, and it's not uncommon, you know, when we go through any sort of major life change that we also look around at the rest of our life and ask ourselves, you know, am I doing what I want to do? Am I making the impact that I want to make? Is this how I want to spend my time? And, you know, those are questions I was kind of grappling with too. And I decided, I don't want to go back to that corporate job. I really want to do this and help people. So here I am. Yeah. That, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. And, and, you know, people might be thinking, listening to this, well, you know, what does being a widow have to do with getting divorced? But there is, I think, a grief stage, whether or not this is something you chose or didn't choose, whether that divorce is something you chose or didn't choose, that there is a lot of grief and it really makes sense to think about it that way and to give yourself the opportunity to grieve. So I'm wondering what you think about that. Oh, I think there's so many similarities. There's grief in both experiences. Also, I'll, I'll say that before this all happened, you know, Hugo, my husband who died was my second husband. So I had been divorced before. So I can, I can speak to, of course, not every divorce experience is the same either, but I can speak to the grief I felt, even though that divorce was my choice, Right. There was grief in that. There was grief is just a natural response to a perceived loss. 
And whether we ask for yeah. a divorce or a divorce just happened to us, it will still most likely feel like a loss, right? Because we expected our life to go one way. We expected a marriage to be something. And then it, then it turned out to be something else. It turned out to go somewhere else. And so, of course, then inherently there is loss. So I think there are a lot of similarities. Sure. I mean, no one walks down the aisle thinking, you know, I'm just going to dump this guy next year. <laughs> that just exactly happen, right. right. I really hope this ends in divorce. My plan <laughs> is, yeah, no, that's, that's not exactly, exactly. We think it's going to be a lifelong thing. And then, yeah, not so necessarily. About, yeah. Tell us about, about grief. And, you know, they have this idea of this five stages of grief. You know, what is that and how does that work? Or how is it yeah. different? I love having conversations about grief because what I find is that if I ask people if they are familiar with the five stages of grief, usually everyone's hand will go up in the room. And then if I ask the follow-on question of, are you familiar with any other grief theories, nobody raises their hand. And I think that's significant because just like anything, you know, there, there are many theories about grief and the five stages just happens to be one of them. It happens to be the one that our popular culture kind of took to heart and rallied around and so we see it everywhere but it, it's not and was never really intended to describe everyone's experience of grief the five stages of grief originally was created to help people understand what it was like actually to come to terms with someone else's with, with your own mortality right it was a study of hospice patients and so what dr elizabeth kubler ross and david kessler noticed was that people tended to go through similar stages. So they would, you know, kind of go into denial and then they would get angry and then they would bargain and then they would be depressed and then eventually they would accept. And so it is a very common experience that people have and also not the only experience that people have. And unfortunately, we've taken the five stages of grief and made it prescriptive and we use it against ourselves. And so we'll, we'll say things like, well, Am I doing it wrong because I wasn't in denial? Am I doing it wrong because I wasn't angry enough? Is this the part where I'm bargaining? Where's the part where I get to acceptance? And I hope people will just hear this and and just give themselves permission to throw that out the window, right? Grief is not linear. It's not nice and neat and tidy. There are no stages that we necessarily pass through that are nice and clean like that. And it doesn't end, right? Grief is, if the loss has happened and we're always going to have thoughts and feelings about the loss, then there is no end point. It's not golf, right? We don't get to an end place with grief. It's something we can acclimate to, right? We can integrate it into our lives, but we're always going to be having thoughts and feelings about it. And the goal is not to get to some place where we can say, you know, yay, verily, grief is over. I am done. It's just not the way that it works. But unfortunately, because people are familiar with the five stages and have misused it, we just live in a culture that doesn't really understand much about grief and as such, then we set goals that really aren't very helpful for ourselves and measure ourselves against targets that really don't add any value. I think what you're saying is that there's a lot to grieve and it's, and it's confusing and disorienting because it's not linear, because you, you don't just pass through these different stages and you're just done being in denial or you're done being angry or, or, or whatever all that is. And I think that my experience of my my own divorce and and also working with many, many clients over many years is that it's the feelings that people have around divorce, which could be, you know, part of the grief process 
is that sometimes there are happy feelings, even if they didn't want it. Mm-hmm. Feelings of relief, yeah. you know, all right, well, at least I'm not going to have to argue anymore. I can, you know, yeah. take over the rest of the closet. I can finally have the dining room table where I wanted it. I don't have to watch that stupid show, you know, those sorts mm-hmm. of things. Yeah. And maybe that seems, you know, small, but I mean, is that kind of what you're talking about? Right, because if you if you experience relief, and your assumption is that you're only supposed to experience the, you know, denial, anger, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, then you start questioning, well, am I doing it wrong? Does this mean something about me that I feel relieved? Does this mean something about me that I'm feeling joy or that I'm laughing, even though this sad thing has happened? And so if we give ourselves permission to let our experience be what it is and not try to fit it in a container and let, let all of it be part of the experience, let all of it be part of grief, including relief, including joy, you know, including gratitude or, or whatever it is, then I think we can kind of rest and let our experience be what it is instead of trying to make it into something that we've been told that it should be. Cause that's just not helpful. It causes so much, so much problem that I see. You're listening to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM in Westchester County every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, bringing you information and thoughtful dialogue that you need to divorce with dignity. And we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm talking today with Krista St. Germain about the grieving process and divorce and, and what that really means. So, Krista, can you help the listeners with some tips for grieving and how to take care of themselves after after divorce? How should people think about that and manage that situation? Yeah, that's such a good question. It can be such an easy time to kind of buckle down, especially if you're a parent or, you know, to throw yourself into parenting, to throw yourself into work and to really try to just wait, wait it out. <laughs> and I can see the advantages of that sometimes, right? I think there's a healthy balance to be found. But what I would love for people to hear is to consider ways that they can treat themselves well. And and I know that sounds a little bit basic, but it's so important is, is what do I need? You know, am I attending to myself? Am I letting myself feel how I feel? Right. Am I, am I finding ways to put myself and my health first? Or am I just kind of white knuckling and gripping and hoping that it will all go away I'm waiting for enough time to pass only to find out that time passed and I still don't feel any better, right? So, so self-care, <laughs> cliche, but so valuable. And and we just aren't taught, you know, as at least I wasn't, how to allow our emotions. We're taught that emotions are problems to solve, you know, and I think that if we could reframe that and tell ourselves, you know, emotions aren't problems. However I feel is not a problem to be solved. It's an experience to be allowed it's something that I can let flow through me and, and process or digest, but it's not a problem. It's not something I need to fix. It's not something I need to hide. It's not something I need to be embarrassed of or ashamed of or wish away. It's a valuable part of being human, and it's definitely a, a part of grief and, by extension, divorce. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, one of the things that I you said earlier in the show and, and that you just kind of made reference to again is that it doesn't just go away because of time passes. And that if you don't do something to process it, you're just going to kind of be stuck under that heavy wet blanket of grief and, until you do do something. Is, is that right? Yeah. I mean, I in some ways, it's, it's a little nuanced. There are some things that time does help with. 
And by that, I mean the process of learning that the brain has to go through after a loss. So if if you have been in, in a partnered relationship, and I don't care even if you asked for the divorce, right? If you have been in a partnered relationship for a significant amount of time, then your brain has encoded the we-ness into it, right? It literally does not see you as a standalone individual. It always knows where your person is. It knows when it's going to see your person in, again, right? It knows how far away your person is. Like It has this we-ness that is literally encoded. And so time does have to pass for the brain to relearn that you are no longer a we and that you are now an I. Right there, there is an important relearning process. So when you wake up in the middle of the night and you reach over and your person isn't there, you might intellectually know that 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 person is no longer there or the garage door open and you expect it to be them. You intellectually know that they aren't going to be there, but yet it feels funny in your body. It feels like a loss. It feels like an ache or a yearning or a longing, even if, again, even if you ask for it. It's because your brain has to go through and gather enough data exposures to your new way of being so that it stops looking for your old way of being, your old partnered way of being. So the passage of time in that respect is very valuable. And also expecting that time alone is going to make you feel better is not going to help you, right? It's not just time is what we do with time. So where I see a lot of people create suffering that is unnecessary is they try to distract themselves from how they're feeling, you know, by maybe overworking or we start drinking more than we want to drink or eating more than we want to eat. We, we develop coping mechanisms to get away from emotion, assuming that if we just avoid them, they'll go away. And that's the part we can really do something about, which is to notice that it doesn't matter how long we avoid them. They're not, they're not just going to go away because we choose to bury them with the behavior. And we do ourselves a service when we actually look at what is going on here and, you know, what do I want to think about this aspect of my life or, you know, whatever it is that's causing that intense emotion. So so it's nuanced. It's not just as simple as saying time heals. It's not just as simple as saying don't let time heal and only focus on the loss. There's also another grief theory that I, I really like. It's called the dual process theory of grief, and I think it's really relevant. You basically can separate our activities into two groups, two buckets. So we have loss-related activities, which are thinking about the loss, you know, remembering the good old days, like being sad, feeling your feelings, journaling, just things that have to do with the loss. And then the other bucket is restorative activities. So things that have nothing to do with the loss. They could be hobbies. They could be intentional distractions and Netflix binges, right? talking with a friend and doing something completely unrelated or, or, you know, traveling, just something unrelated to the loss. And it used to be thought that you really wanted to spend all of your time in the loss-oriented activities. But really, the dual process theory teaches that the balance is to be found in the oscillation. So you actually really want to intentionally plan things into your life that are restorative in nature, that have nothing to do with your loss. And then kind of oscillate back and forth. So you, you do some things that are unrelated. And then also you can think about what has happened and decide how you want to think about it and process your feelings and do the loss-related work. But you go kind of, you know, gently back and forth, back and forth. So it's not all one or all the other. It's the back and forth that creates the space for healing. And sometimes people will really make themselves feel guilty 
when they are doing the restorative activities. And I encourage people to plan those first. Like let's actually put things in our calendar that fill us up and that don't have anything to do with what we've lost. And knowing that the, the loss activities are probably going to come easily. <laughs> but, but we do want to give ourselves permission to go back and forth and find the balance and know that there's healing in that. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of things that people can do. And Chris of St. Germain, do you think that there's a place that, that someone who might be listening to this, newly facing divorce, whether or not it's that person's choice or not, where's a great place to start? Mm. Like as in resources to use or, or, or just to start thinking about it. It's just like, oh my God, you know, you know, one thing that, you know, I've observed is that divorce can be very hijacking, especially when you're in the middle of it, right? You're making decisions that are going to impact your, the rest of your life. You're making decisions that are going to impact your children and other people you care about, where you live, where you work, what car you drive how you spend your money, and it's sort of like a reset on your entire life. And at the same time that you're doing this reset on your entire life and trying to negotiate something with someone you used to love or maybe still do love, you're, you're feeling the, the loss and the grief of the relationship and, you know, the other person. And that sometimes it's just like it'd be your best friend. It can feel like this is a person I talk mm-hmm. about with everything with. And that can be, I think, for some people, maybe their spouse is still trying to talk to them about their dating life. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not the right person for this, you know, and you have those feelings going on. So just, I guess I'm just really asking about how to, how to sort those experiences out and and start to dealing with the, with the grief while you've got all the rest of that going Mm -hmm. on. You know, what I think I would be looking first is I would just be looking at what are the tools in my toolbox and do I need some more? (laughs) Right. So, because you use the, the word hijacked. And so from my own experience had happened and what I see happen with a lot of my clients is that because we don't really know how to regulate our nervous systems, we don't really know how to create safety internally. It is, it is easy to get ourselves to that place where we actually can't think rationally because we're so emotional, but yet we don't have anywhere to go with the emotion. We don't know how to process it or what to do with it. And And until we allow ourselves to process the emotion, we can't really create the calm that allows us to access the thinking part of our brain so that we can make clear decisions. So I would be looking in my toolbox. Do I have tools so that I know how to calm myself when I am feeling super anxious or panicky or, you know, really stressed? So, and there are, you know, many different ones, but tapping, you know, emotional freedom technique is, is one that's so easy for people to use. You can do it anywhere. You know, there are a lot of little things that you can do that help, you know, like bilateral stimulation, little things that can help create calm in your nervous system, kind of turn that switch off, if you will, and that's a tremendous oversimplification. But once you can allow yourself to let that heavy emotion flow through with a quick technique, like like tapping, then, you know, five or 10 minutes, you can think clearly again and and you can make decisions that aren't emotional, right? And and become a little bit more logical. Or maybe what you need in your toolbox is a good therapist, you know, or a good life coach or, you know, an unbiased sure. third party who can listen to you. That's where I would look first is what, what are the tools that maybe I've never needed in my life before that I would really benefit in investing in now? I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WBOX 1460 AM in Westchester County every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30 and also available as a podcast 
wherever you listen to podcasts and also available on the podcast website, divorcedialogues.com. And I'm talking to Krista St. Germain about how to cope with grief. And I, I know you work with people after divorce and also after the loss of a, a loved one. And Krista, if people are interested in learning more about you or how to get in touch, how can they do that? Yeah, I also host a podcast. It's called The Widowed Mom Podcast. Obviously, it's rather specific, but honestly, anyone who wants to learn about grief or post-traumatic growth would be welcome to listen. And you can find the Widowed Mom podcast on you know pretty much all the major podcast places. And then coachingwithkrista.com is my website, and that has all of my social links and you know all the ways to get in touch with me. Thank you so much. So I know you have this idea of disenfranchised grief. So can you tell us what mm-hmm. that is and how to cope with it? Yeah, disenfranchised grief is... A kind of grief that, that again, we, we know we love, we love putting people in boxes and adding labels to things. So let's hold it lightly. But disenfranchised grief is the idea that we're grieving something that maybe society doesn't accept. There's no place for it. It is something that, you know, maybe you were in a, a relationship with it that was a same sex relationship and your family doesn't support that, right? Or, Maybe you're grieving, you were having an affair and the person you were having an affair with died or it ended even, right? It doesn't even have to be a death, but it ended. And so you're grieving something that just isn't acceptable in society's terms. So then it can result in a lot of isolation, right? So when we don't believe that we're, it's okay for us to grieve, and of course we don't share our grief and instead we turn inward and it just makes it a lot harder um, when we do that. But you know, not everybody is okay with all of our losses. We might feel something is a, is a loss that society just doesn't understand. It could also be loss of a pet or, you know, maybe a celebrity dies and you felt a, a really deep connection to that person and nobody understands why it was so hard for you that they died. Or, you know, maybe there's something happening in another country that doesn't really impact your daily life, but to you, it, it is, is really upsetting. And those around you just don't quite get it. That's disenfranchised grief. So it's something that is, you feel strong grief about, but that you don't get a lot of support in our community, in your community about because people don't. Or maybe you're, in, maybe you're in an abusive relationship and you're the one that's asked for the divorce and all of your friends are saying, you should be so glad you got away from that, you know, that jerk. And yes, you are. And also you're grieving, right? But nobody understands why you would ever grieve that you're no longer with someone who abused you. And so people aren't supportive of your grief because they don't understand yeah. it and they don't think it's appropriate. But but it's very real to you when you're going through it. What are some things that people can do in that circumstance? Because I think that that's really, in, in a divorce situation, it's, it's really, I think, difficult to deal with the pity. I mean, I've had mm-hmm. you know, people, people just don't want to hear it isn't necessarily something to feel pity about, but no one wants to be pitied, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. so, it just sort of robs you of your dignity when somebody pities you, it seems like. But this is kind of like the opposite of that, right? Where people just don't get it. They're yeah. like, oh, well, you lost your cat, get another one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's so, yeah. Like it's so simple to do that or something like that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I guess to me, the best thing you can do is find other people who have experienced or are experiencing a similar loss. And I promise you they are out there. And thanks to the internet, you will find them if you look. Don't try to go it alone. Find other people who can relate, who you actually can feel free to discuss it with. And, you know, that can be online support groups. 
you know, and again, that could be one person who happens to just be a mental health professional. It doesn't have to be a group, but I promise you every time you think you're alone and what's happened to you, you're the only person it's happened to. It is never true. There, there, there's just so many places you can find people who really do understand what it's like to be in your shoes and connect with them. And then you won't feel so alone. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So Crystal, we have you know a few minutes left in the show and I know that trauma and, and post-traumatic growth and all of that stuff, like how do people and how do you work with people to deal with the trauma of the loss and then recover and, and get to a life on the other side? Yeah. So I love post-traumatic growth and, you know, while I don't, I don't believe it's morally superior to grow after a traumatic event, I do love helping people understand that it is their prerogative if they would like something different after, you know, any sort of traumatic event. And we used to think that trauma was, you know, very objective and only certain events were traumatic. We now know that trauma is highly subjective. What's traumatic to you might not be traumatic to someone else, but the bottom line is that no matter what you go through, you get to choose what you want to create in the future, right? If a tornado comes and knocks down your house, you can either try to rebuild a house similar to what you had, or you can decide that, hey, I've lived in that house for a long time. I'd like to rebuild it differently, and here's what I'm going to build in the future. That, to me, is post-traumatic growth. It's consciously making decisions about the direction that your life will head next. And you get to decide what that looks like for you. That's wonderful. Krista St. Germain, thank you so much for being my guest on Divorce Dialogues. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show talking about coping with grief, such an important topic.